Open up your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. Decided to leave the jacket on a little while so Charlie doesn't have to explain to people that the pastor does wear a jacket. I'm starting to think this morning that on the DVDs, they've probably never seen me wear one because it's usually gone by now. But, um, but since I've mentioned it, it does fit for the first time in a few years, so I, I'm glad to wear it. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, and we are going to read across the chapter breaks. <gasps> but remember, those are there from translation. We're going to go from John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 to chapter 2, verse 2. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say then, or if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. What a name. Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. What we look at here this morning is Christ the expiator, or Christ the propitiation. And we're still looking at the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. We looked at uh, the importance of his manifestation in the flesh over the last two Sundays, Lord willing, um, because this is a little bit of a review. We did the doctrines of grace over the summer. Um, This one we should be able to cover today. Hold your finger there in 1 John and turn over to John 3. Now, we've already in this study validated John as a writer. And I explained how we do that. I explained why that was important. Uh, You can go back a couple weeks ago in that first part of the previous lesson and you'll see that. But this is the same writer here in John chapter 3, the same apostle. And if you look with me there at verse... Well, let's start in verse 1. And we'll read through to probably verse 21. It validates what we've also read here. uh, This coming first, chronologically, not by its writing necessarily, but chronologically by its occurring. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. All we've received in the first three verses is the stature and position of Nicodemus. And Jesus addresses it all with, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 4, Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water, And of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. It's the third time in six or seven verses. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, 
a teacher of Israel, a leader of the nation of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This does not mean the world is not condemned. Keep reading. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, which in the original is where we get the word crisis. This is the crisis, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Always carry bookmarks in your Bible, just, just a friendly warning. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. And it is those deeds that John is speaking of here in, in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through chapter 2, verse 2. There's a word today that has become a bit of a buzzword, and that word is reparation. Uh, if it gets out that this is mentioned in this sermon and it's online, somebody's going to listen unexpectedly, I promise you. I do not have to tell you the ways in which the world is using that word to create chaos, but I would like to properly define it. The word reparation means something done or given to make amends. This should be a most precious word to the elect of God. We should not be afraid of this word. It is interesting, though, isn't it, that the devil likes to do this. Pride is a word to be afraid of, not in American society. The rainbow is something honorable that reminds us of the promises of God. The picture y'all shared of that rainbow over your house, I've never seen anything like that. We shouldn't look at that rainbow and think of homosexuality. And furthermore, we shouldn't think of homosexuality and smile and think this is wonderful, they can express themselves. We should think of Sodom and Gomorrah, Amen. a swift ending. Even Job's wife made to be a pillar of salt for looking back on the judgment of God and defying his commands. Not Job, Lot. Lot had to be taken by the hand and led out of there. This should be a most precious word, reparation to the elect of God. For when we call the Lord Jesus our propitiation, we are saying that he gave himself over freely to make amends for our sins. Amen. Reparation in the singular was made on the cross only one time by the reparator or the expiator or our beloved atonement, the propitiation, our offering, the Lord Jesus Christ. In looking at this aspect of Christ's divinity, we want to first define its meaning. The word atonement, just like when we were uh, searching out John as a credible writer, we're going to search out this word and its credible usages and meanings. The word atonement is only really translated as atonement in the KJV one time. Romans chapter 5, which is what we used when we looked at the doctrines of grace. So as a refresher, let's read Romans 5 verses 6 through 11. 
Romans 5, starting in verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, and I want you, like we did in the summer, picture yourself as it describes you. When we, you, me, were without strength, in due time Christ died for you, me, we, the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we, you, me, we, were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. We, you, me, we. For if when we, you, me, we, were enemies, we, you, me, we, were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, you, me, we, shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but, yeah, you, me, we, also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the part we seem to forget about, that joy. By whom we, you, me, we, have now received the atonement. Jesus Christ. We've received the Son of God unto ourselves. The original Greek noun is used three times. And you can listen or flip. I'll try to go slow. Romans 11, verses 13 through 15. For I speak to you Gentiles, and as much as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine mine office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh, and might save some of them. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, there it is, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? Second time it's used in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry, and that first use of reconciled, in case the teachers come after me, I understand is not the noun that I'm referring to, but we'll come back to it. It has given to us the ministry of the noun reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. We also see it in Romans 5.10 that we've already read through, also in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10-11, through 11, and I'll read this to you quickly. And unto the married I command, yet not I but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband, but and, but and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. We're not going to get into the principles of that verse. Don't need to hate mail today, but understand the word is there. From its use, we can see that it was through his actions on the cross that Jesus made reparation or amends and atoned for us why we use phrases like he had me on his mind or his heart or in his will or in his mission as he went to the cross well beloved it was more than just when he was on the cross it was when he was getting scourged when he was being embarrassed when the throne of the thorny crown was pressed into his brow when he drank from the bitter cup when he went to the mount of olives every time he prayed there outside lazarus's tomb before he said lazarus come forth 
He says, I am revealed unto them for your sake, Father, and for theirs. He came with us completely, and we have to be with Him completely. Reparation is not how the world defines it. A continual bank account in which we go and draw when we want amends. This amendment happened one time. And we are to be holy for He is holy. We are to be ever in pursuit striving toward the perfection in Christ. These days of sitting on our hands and oh, woe is me. And oh, how bad the world is. It's because we have good intentions, but we are not acting on what God has called for us to do. Go and tell all nations who I am. That's the commission. It doesn't say just tell folks who want to hear it. Tell folks who already know about it, but tell the world who I am. This is illustrated. We're not going to turn there right now, but it's illustrated. Jesus asked that first church, who do they say I am? Who do you say that I am? And he says, he confirms that it was revealed to the Father unto Simon Peter who he was. If it's been revealed unto us who he was, we've got to tell the world. Secondly, we have to describe the needfulness of Jesus Christ as our propitiation. And there's a number of sub-points here. It vindicates the holiness of God. Turn over to 2 Corinthians, and to make it fair, I'm going to turn with you on all these. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, one of probably the most used phrases in the Bible by me at least. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 14, and we're going to cross right into chapter 7. Hold on to your seats. It vindicates the holiness of God. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. 7 verse 1, having therefore these promises. That's why we got to include verse 1 with chapter 6. Having therefore the promises we just read, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. How did my household walk away from Christmas? That set of verses. That exact set of verses. Not just abstain from all appearances of evil. But when you read that set of verses and you hold it up against all of our own traditions... My wife didn't like it when I mentioned this, but birthdays too. You start to see the roots of these things do not line up with the Word of God. Was it going to be tolerable for God that the nation of Israel got to the Promised Land by bus, by American airline, by subway train, or by His hand? There was only one way. Be holy, for I am holy. When Moses was up in the mountains just a few minutes too long, what did the people do? Aaron, lead us! Aaron, lead us. Moses is gone. Aaron, lead us. And we won't bother with Aaron's telling of the tale. But he tells them, 
Give me the gold. Well, we're going to figure this out. Give me the gold. It goes into the fire and a molten calf is molded. Now, Aaron says it just came out that way. But a molten calf was formed by the melted gold. Was that permissible? This, this, this is their way. This is what man did. What did man do? They created a religion. They created an idol. While Moses was receiving the law of God atop the mountain, Joshua was halfway up, waiting outside the cloud. Remember what he said? This sounds like a war going down there. And Moses and him converted. It's a war or a party. And God said, get down there. Get down there. And they found just how quickly man strays from God's will. We need this set of text. We need to read it often. This vindicates the holiness of God. Being absolutely holy, God will not and cannot tolerate sin. It is the cause of His wrath, and His wrath must be spent. Can we say that His wrath is fully spent if we continue to rile it? If we continue to invest in causing it to be more fierce? Secondly, it establishes God's law. Romans 3 verse 31 says, Do we then make void the law through faith? Do we make void the law through faith because we believe the law, antinomianism is what we're describing here, the law then has no effect? God Himself forbids it. The text says, God forbid, yea, we establish the law. Without atonement, the law would be our certain death sentence, our recompense of reward. And how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Hebrews chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Thirdly, it manifests the greatness of God's love. Romans 5, we read just a minute ago, verse 8. But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we, you, me, we, were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for sinners? I know we say it a lot, but think about you on your worst day. Christ died for us while we were yet His enemy. Not just an unfriendly, not just somebody who might be ugly, but he died for us while we yet pronounced, crucify him, crucify him. Remember when we were on his hearts all through that journey, that whole week, that whole examination period? While we were on his hearts, we were shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And he died for us while we were in full rebellion against him we got to stop thinking about ourselves as nice and good people and well-deserving. We don't deserve well at all. We deserve an eternity in hell. But by the grace of God, who sent His Son to die for us while we were yet without strength, while we were yet His enemies, while we were yet in full rebellion. Our sins have earned us the wrath of God, but God. This is the text we read above in Romans 5. It plainly says, We shall be saved from God's wrath through Him. There in verse 9. We could not and would not do that for ourselves or for anyone else, beloved. 1 John chapter 4, where we started. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. 
He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. We're going to keep reading, but beloved, this ought to be our measuring stick. If something were to happen to me and you had to find another pastor, and something will have to happen to me for that to happen. You bring a man in here that does not reveal he knows anything about the love of God, thank him, pay him, say goodbye. This is discernment. And the discernment is on us. We must exercise understanding and wisdom, as the Proverbs proclaim. We must study the Word of God that we have access to wisdom and understanding. And we must labor to prove ourselves knowledgeable of the love of God. And we must familiarize ourselves with those in this world that do not. And the Scripture says to mark them as publicans. Not to kill them, not to slay them, not to put them out and forget about them, but to love them cautiously. To be familiar with the dangers of their testimony. Beloved, we've got to be careful. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that He might live, or that we might live, rather, you, me, we, through Him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, you, me, we, but that He loved us. He taught us love. And He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Anybody need to borrow a highlighter? If He so loved us, and beloved, He so loved us. Think of what His Son went through. If he so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Calvary was literally our lesson from God on his passion or his love for us. He so loved us. That's in the text. Fourthly, it proves the divine authority of Old Testament sacrifices. When God gave instruction in the wilderness to Aaron and the priests, on the need for sacrificial offerings, he began teaching them to look for this great future atonement. All of those sacrifices were rolling the sins forward one year, rolling them forward to the great sacrifice which would cleanse and remove them all. A day when the sins would no longer be rolling forward time after time, but they would be atoned for, amended once and for all. This atonement is the central theme of Christianity, and we've mentioned this before. All that preceded it looked forward to its fulfillment. All that followed has looked back to its completion. You think of the sacrificial offerings of the Old Testament. Think of the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. It all points to Jesus Christ as that great sacrifice, that great propitiation. Fifthly, it is the acid test of other denominational institutions. T.P. Simmons once gave this illustration. Christianity is the only religion with an atonement. It is related that some years ago when there was held a parliament of religion at the World's Fair in Chicago, and they still do things like this, they just don't call it that anymore. Je Joseph Cook of Boston, the chosen spokesman for Christianity, arose after other, religious, other religions had been presented. And he said, here is Lady Macbeth's hands, stained with the foul murder of King Duncan. See her as she preambulates through the halls and corridors of her palatial home, stopping to cry, Out, damned spot! Out, I say! Will these hands ne'er be clean? 
the representative of Christianity turned to the advocates of other religious uh, religions and triumphantly challenged, can any of you who are so anxious to, pro to propagate your religious systems offer any cleansing efficacy for the sin and guilt of Lady Macbeth's crime? They were speechless, for none of them had an atonement to offer. Those religions haven't changed. They still don't. Milburn Cockrell once wrote that religion is big business. The majority, if not all, the world systems of religions require the sacramental offerings of the believer, but who can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The songwriter says it's precious because there is no other source. There's not some power that's close to it. There's no power but it. And third and lastly, we must demonstrate its application. The application of atonement or propitiation. How big do our sins need to be to require atonement? This is a justifiable question because in this world we measure everything. One person's richer than another. One person's happier than another. These days some are gayer than others. Some are, uh, we've got a whole ranking system for the weirdos in the world now that want to be this, that, and everything else. All you got to do is identify as it, and then we'll rank where you fall as the level of weirdness. We've got reality shows and game shows and sporting events that literally classify and sort for us. We don't even have to do the thinking. We don't even have to exercise discernment. So let's ask the question, how big do our sins need to be to require atonement? It was Achan, right, and Joshua that took the thing, God forbid, it was a little thing. He didn't even use it. He buried it, if you recall. But God knew. And what did God require? It had to be handled. So Achan and all of his family had to stand in front of the nation of Israel. And they got a real good tongue lashing from Joshua. No, beloved. They were stoned to death. And when I give this illustration, I used Isaac last time. You got to come up. I don't like to just think of old dirty Achan who stole something. I like to think of maybe his daughter or his grandkids that had to stand up there with him and say, Papa, why are our friends and family about to throw rocks at us? You imagine that little face looking up at Achan? And he has to explain, I'm a sinner. I stole from God. I defied God, our Creator. And we have to die. We have to suffer. I brought this on all of you. Beloved, sin's a big deal. Think about the amount of work, just, you know, speaking as a man, that God went through to bring Jacob's sons all the way to Egypt. The famine, the seven years of plenty, that would have been pretty tough. But then seven years of dearth to remain... To remain it dearthful? I don't know if that's a word. But to require the need for surrounding nations to go right to Joseph's feet? 
Beloved, not that we could duplicate anything that God did, but He kept all those boys alive for 20 years. And Jacob. And Benjamin. We see already a work in Reuben's heart, a work in Judah's heart, a work in Jacob's heart. He's Israel again in our Wednesday night study. And God did all of that because sin needed to be addressed. And that could have been it with where we're at now. But again, repentance to a servant is not full repentance before God. And so it continues. That little sin that we harbor, I'm being polite. There's more than one. Those little sins that we harbor, that we hide, that we consider our precious inside pocket sins that no one knows about, and man, one day we're going to deal with it. One day we're going to address it. One day we're going to be free of it. God knows all about it. He's been very patient with His people. He's been very long-suffering. That's the Bible word for it. See, patience, we, we throw that word around and we think, oh, I don't want to have to learn patience. But if I had it, it's easily exercised. Well, when it's exercised in the Bible, it's called long-suffering. As he has been long-suffering with that pet sin you don't want to let go of, it is not beyond God's reach to march you out in front of everyone and make you deal with that sin. How big do your sins need to be to require atonement. If God said don't do it and you did it, that's big enough. And it doesn't matter if somebody else got hurt by it. It doesn't matter if nobody else knows about it. If he said no and you said yes, that's big enough. It lost us the garden. It caused the fall. It's brought about death into all of creation. Let me answer this with another illustration. How much debt is too much debt? Perhaps you've heard the lie, well, you need debt to earn credit and you will need credit to buy a car and a house one day. Well, with this logic, do we need to sin to earn grace? Man, we got to make sure that cross is worth it. I'm going to go out and steal from somebody today because I don't want today to be the day that Jesus says I died for nothing. Well, that's ludicrous. None of us would say that. We are born utterly and totally depraved and without hope of deserving the grace of God. Shall we then continue in that state in order that we might deserve grace the more? God forbid. This is preposterous. None of us would follow through on that. Not deliberately. We would deserve grace even less for sinning more, much like how we truly shouldn't earn credit based on our ability to go into debt. To answer our question, you must only be born to have a most desperate need for atonement. You might be the best of us in here, but lest you be born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. You might be the kindest soul. You might be the one Christian that forgives seven times seven times seven and so on and so on and so on. You might be the one Christian that's right. Yes, love. Preach more love. But you'll die a desperate and wicked sinner if you don't know him. And he will chasten those he loves. He will come after. He will scourge. He will purify those that are his. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And you can be sure your sin will find you out. Romans 3.23. Numbers 32.23. All sin. 
All sin is a foul stench before the nostrils of the thrice holy God. All sin must be punished. All sin. There is not a sin that God will permit in His presence. If we imagine a, a sin like a, like a type of courtroom, like man likes to present uh, old St. Peter at the pearly gates, so I don't want you to illustrate that, but just imagine some centurion in which we have to get past. And he's looking over our sins because nothing can be hid and we aren't allowed to lie. We know it's the Lord at this point, but understand for the illustration. And he says, well, I mean, this is, this is okay. Isaac's right behind you. He's way worse. And I got a lot of time to invest in this conversation. So Charlie, you can go through. Oh, Isaac, let's talk. Well, who knows what wickedness Charlie took in. That's not how it works, beloved. And of course, there's no purgatory for which we go to to discover just how bad sin is. This is the place we discover how bad sin is. Anybody lost a loved one recently? We already know how bad sin is. Lazarus was dead. Beloved, we are learning every day how bad sin is. The constant updates on Brother Pete Horn as cancer is eating the inside of his body all the way to his brain. As his loved ones and his church prepares for him to depart, they know how bad and awful sin is. Brother Horn's a great preacher, a godly man. But sin has to be addressed. It's not permitted in the kingdom. Sin is that detestable. That sting, that victory... It was only conquered by this propitiation. Will you yet pay for your sins by dying for all eternity? It's not possible. Like we just talked about in the previous lesson, none of us have the ability to do more than what is personal. I can go to the cross and die for the now, but that won't even cover my own sins for all eternity. I pray that this is the hour by which the mighty expiator calls you by name. But he says, you are mine. You have been made whole. I have died for you. Can you imagine living with that? 